Welcome to the Folktale Project, this is Dan Scholes. Today we have Chapter 2 of the story of A Voyage to Lilliput from the Blue Fairy Book. Our young hero, our traveler, our ship's surgeon has found himself washed up on a very interesting shore with some rather diminutive hosts. And this is Chapter 2 of A Voyage to Lilliput. The emperor, advancing towards me from among his courtiers all most magnificently clad, surveyed me with great admiration, but kept beyond the length of my chain. He was taller by about the breadth of my nail than any of his cord, which alone would be enough to strike awe into the beholders, and graceful and majestic. The better to behold him, I lay down on my side, so that my face was level with his, and he stood three yards off. However, I have had him since many times in my hand, and therefore cannot be deceived. His dress was very simple, but he wore a light helmet of gold adorned with jewels and a plume. He held his sword drawn in his hand to defend himself should I break loose. It was almost three inches long, and the hilt was of gold enriched with diamonds. His voice was shrill but very clear. His imperial majesty spoke often to me, and I answered, but neither of us could understand a word. After about two hours the court retired, and I was left with a strong guard to keep away the crowd, some of whom had the impudence to shoot their arrows at me as I sat by the door of my house. But the colonel ordered six of them to be seized and delivered bound into my hands. I put five of them into my coat pocket, and, as to the sixth, I made a face as if I would eat him alive. The poor man screamed terribly, and the colonel and his officers were much distressed, especially when they saw me take out my penknife. But I soon set them at ease, for, cutting the strings he was bound with, I put him gently on the ground, and away he ran. I treated the rest in the same manner, taking them one by one out of my pocket, and I saw that both the soldiers and people were highly delighted at this mark of my kindness. Towards night, I got with some difficulty into my house where I lay on the ground, as I had to do for a fortnight, the bed was prepared for me out of six hundred beds of the ordinary measure. Six hundred servants were appointed me, and three hundred tailors made me a suit of clothes. Moreover, six of his majesty's greatest scholars were employed to teach me their language, so that soon as I was able to converse after a fashion with the emperor, who honored me with his visits, the first words I learned were to desire that he would please to give me my liberty, which I every day repeated on my knees but he answered that this must be a work of time, and that first I must swear a peace with him and his kingdom. He told me also that by the laws of the nation I must be searched by two of his officers, and that, as this could not be done without my help, he trusted them in my hands, and whatever they took from me should be returned when I left the country. I took up the two officers and put them into my coat pockets. These gentlemen, having pen, ink, and paper about them, made an exact list of everything they saw, which I afterwards translated into English, and which ran as follows. In the right coat pocket of the great man-mountain we found only one great piece of coarse cloth, large enough to cover the carpet of your majesty's chief room of state. In the left pocket we saw a huge silver chest, with a silver cover which we could not lift. 
we desired that it should be opened, and one of us stepping into it found himself up to the mid-leg in a sort of dust, some of which, flying into our faces, sent us both into a fit of sneezing. In his right waistcoat pocket we found a number of thin white substances folded one over another about the size of three men tied with a strong cable and marked with black figures, which we humbly conceived to be writings. In the left there was a sort of engine from the back of which extended twenty long poles, with which, we conjecture, the man mountain combs his hair. In the smaller pocket of the right side there were several round flat pieces of white and red metal of different sizes. Some of the white, which appeared to be silver, were so large and heavy that my comrade and I could hardly lift them. From another pocket hung a huge silver chain with a wonderful kind of engine fastened to it, a globe half silver and half of some transparent metal, for on the transparent side we saw certain strange figures, and thought we could touch them till we found our fingers stopped by the shining substance. This engine made an incessant noise like a watermill, and we conjecture that it is either some unknown animal or the god he worships, but probably the latter, for he told us that he seldom did anything without consulting it. This is a list of what we found about the body of the man-mountain, who treated us with great civility. I had one private pocket, which escaped their search, containing a pair of spectacles and a small spyglass, which, being of no consequence to the emperor, I did not think myself bound in honor to discover. And that is chapter two of A Voyage to Lilliput. And we see our young traveler is coming into his own in this strange land. This is Dan Scholes for The Folktale Project. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, anywhere you like to get your podcasts. You can follow us on Threads and Instagram at Folktale Project. And you can find us wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. As always, thank you so much for listening.